Uh, the scripture for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 8, and we are going to read verses 1 through 34. So that's a big portion this morning, and this is, you can find this in page 1507 on your pew Bibles, 1507 Matthew chapter 8. We are going to read verses 1 through 34. And I recognize this is a big portion, congregation. But uh, I want you to uh, notice this morning the big theme and the big uh, thought that is uh, flowing through Matthew's narrative uh, from the beginning of chapter 1 through this chapter 8. So I hope to do that with you this morning, and I hope you can see uh, what are the concerns of Matthew here in this narrative. So Matthew chapter 8, <coughs> we are going to read the whole chapter. Here, uh, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Cap Capernaum, a centurion, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believe it will. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came into the, uh, Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with fever. He touched, her, he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the, to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have net, nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. 
But Jesus told him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side of the region, uh, in the region of gatherings, two demon-possessed men coming from Tom's met him. They were so violent that no one uh, could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the step bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet, to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region. Thus far, God's, uh, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now, uh, congregation, the, the reason why I want to talk about this is because uh, in my family we are um, reading Matthew's gospel right now. And we began to notice certain things that are going on here in this gospel. For example, Matthew is really concerned with the fact that Jesus is fulfilling God's promises to his people. He is the one who God promises that will come, the Messiah. According to Matthew, Jesus fulfills this promise. For example, you can find some uh, verses in Matthew, Matthew's gospel that talk about this. If you go to chapter 1, verse 23, you will see Matthew citing some uh, prophecy. In chapter 2, 18, Matthew again is citing this is to fulfill God's uh, word that he spoke through this prophet or that prophet. And chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, again, Matthew is doing the same. So Matthew is showing you, the reader, that Jesus is this promised Messiah. But not only that, Matthew is also concerned to show that Jesus has come to do something else. Not only to fulfill what, uh, what God has promised, but also to inaugurate God's kingdom. In other words, Jesus is God dwelling among us. Jesus is coming here and initiating, starting, and expanding God's kingdom. If you see, for example, uh, Matthew chapter 4 verse, seven, 4, verse 17, you will see that the first words that, words that Jesus speaks are repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Therefore, Jesus is saying, hey, here I am. I'm starting, inaugurating the kingdom of God. 
it seems then that Matthew is arranging this narrative in uh, certain topics or in certain ideas, themes. And the first theme that we can see uh, of here in Matthew is, of course, the fulfillment of God's promises. But the second is also about uh, God's kingdom drawing near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. In these first chapters of Matthew, we can see all of this and these two ideas running through the narrative of Matthew. So, how is uh, Matthew showing this to you when you read the Bible? How is Matthew speaking these two themes to us when we come before uh, Matthew's gospel and read it? And the answer is simple, to Jesus' actions. What he does, what he acts like, are these two things. God fulfilling his promise and also God showing his kingdom in power. So, for example, you can go to chapter uh, 4 and notice the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus is saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, has drawn near. If you move then from chapter 4 through chapter 5 and read from chapter 5 through chapter 7, you will see a different thing going on. Jesus is no longer proclaiming, but he is teaching, teaching the ethics of the kingdom of God. He's teaching the Sermon of the Mount. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Therefore, we see Jesus' movement from proclamation, teaching, and then in chapter 8, a different moment starts, manifestation. So, when we come to chapter 8, Uh, After the proclamation, after the teaching of God's kingdom, Jesus is bringing the manifestation of God's kingdom in power. So if you see your bulletins, that is exactly the theme of my sermon this morning. The manifestation of God's kingdom in power. Now, this manifestation demands something of the people who are experiencing this. Demands a response. Excuse me. Now, the question is, what are those responses? What is the people who are, experiences, who are experiencing uh, Jesus' manifestation of the kingdom of God uh, responding to Jesus? And the text this morning is divided in three parts. It seems like Matthew wants to uh, show us that there are three kinds of responses to Jesus. There are those who believe in Jesus, and we see that from verse 1 through verse 17. There are those who doubt Jesus, and we can see that from verses 18 through 27. And there are, there are those, finally, who uh, reject Jesus, and those are verses 28 to 34. So we have three points uh, this morning. Those who believe Jesus, those who doubt Jesus, and those who reject Jesus. <coughs> Therefore, Excuse me, let us turn now to our first point, those who believe Jesus. Look with me once more, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When he came down, Matthew says, from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And he said, I am. I am willing, be clean. 
immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Now just imagine this scene, congregation. Please just imagine this scene with me. Jesus has been teaching about the ethics of the kingdom on the mountainside. Do you remember any scene that is similar to it in the Old Testament? Moses. Moses also descended from the mountainside with uh, God's law. And Jesus here is teaching about God's law, <coughs> the ethics of the kingdom, excuse me. And he has expounded God's law, all the implications of God's law. And now, while he is going down, get down many people began to surround him. Many, many people began to come close and began to follow him. Now, we see then this movement in chapter 8 from teaching in the mountain to the action of Jesus coming close to the people. And when he is coming down, what do we see? A man who is suffering with leprosy. What else do we see? A centurion and a woman who is sick. These three people that Matthew presents to us this morning are people who are casted out of Israel or despised or seen as less than people, as second-hand citizens. So just imagine the, the man with leprosy. How does he look like? Have you had the opportunity to see a person with uh, leprosy? It's very interesting because it's a very external sickness. His skin began to change color and began to fall into pieces. Uh, his eyes turned uh, red and, and look weird. But not only that, both his skin and his breath stink. Therefore, every person who is Close can tell, oh, this is a leper. Stinks. I, I don't want to be uh, close to him. But more important than that, because of his sickness, he cannot worship the Lord. He cannot come before the Lord and, and uh, present himself in the temple. He is ceremonially unclean. So having this sickness, the only hope that he has is to be heal to be cured but even that is rare in old testament so this person comes before the lord and uh, ask him to be clean nobody understand this congregation nobody will dare to touch him or to get near to him they believe they will be become unclean and that is uh, the reality but here is how Jesus manifests the kingdom of God in power. When this man comes to him, when he approaches to him, Jesus doesn't say to him, hey, go away. No, he's coming to him and touches him. Look this powerful manifestation of God's kingdom. Jesus does not become unclean. Rather than that, he who is clean shares that cleanness with the other, and he becomes clean. He becomes a clean person. This man therefore believed Jesus, and in a position, in a posture of adoration, came to Jesus knowing that he alone can clean him, can clean him of this uh, sickness. 
Jesus, therefore, as a better Moses and a better priest, because remember, the priests just had to see what is going on and then abandon the people there to know if the Lord will do something or not. But Jesus comes, touches him, and manifests the kingdom of God in power. He's a better priest. He's a better Moses. And the second instance is similar. If you <coughs> place your eyes in verse 5, you will see that a centurion came, and he is a Gentile. But not only a Gentile, not only a, a, somebody who is casted out from the congregation and the covenant of Israel, but even worse, a centurion. An officer of the government who is oppressing Israel. So this person is also despised. Look down for, uh, by, by others in Israel. He doesn't deserve anything. But he comes with such faith before Jesus that Jesus exclaims, in, uh, uh, truly, truly, I, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And not only that, look with me at verse 11. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This is scandalous. Scandalous for the Israelite mind. A centurion seated, seated together with Abraham? Wow. That's, that's out of the mind of uh, any Israelite. So how he comes, the centurion, before Jesus prompts this uh, reaction on Jesus. He makes an affirmation about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not only for you, Israel, but I will tell you, many will come before the Lord from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Are we not seeing that today? You and I, we were also casted out from Israel's uh, covenant, casted out from Israel's nation. But we are here because of Jesus, because of the manifestation of his kingdom. Not only that, but what happens next is that Jesus' manifestation of the kingdom has made possible to this man to <coughs> excuse me, enter the ranks of God's people, but also has provoked the healing of the servant. This is the first instance in the whole Gospel of Matthew in which a healing happens at the distance. Did he knew that? Did, did the centurion knew that Jesus can do that? We don't know. But Jesus is indeed manifesting his power. And then we see a third one, no less than Peter's mother-in-law. She is severely sick. She is uh, laying down in the bed with fever. Now, she's a woman. And maybe you are thinking, uh, what does that have to do with, with her fever? Uh, you see, congregation, in the Israelite mind, a woman is a second-class citizen. She, does, she doesn't deserve to be healed. Is Jesus saying that? No. He comes, he approaches to her, he shows compassion and touches her, and then he heals her. Therefore, uh, congregation, we see uh, 
these uh, things here, we see this team again coming uh, in contacting Matthew 8. The promises of God and the manifestation of the kingdom together in Jesus. See how uh, Matthew closes this part. In verse 17, he says again, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our, and carried our disease. So, in Jesus, we can see God's manifestation of the kingdom. We are healing him, our sins are forgiven in him. Moreover, we who did not belong to him now belong to him. This is amazing. God is not only, God in Jesus is not only bringing Eden back to the earth, but he's also placing people in a place they didn't belong in the first place. Now this will give us hope, congregation. This will give us a, rejoice, a motive for, for rejoicing, to have gladness of heart, because we also were casted out. But His Holy Spirit has transformed us and has brought us before God. Now, um, maybe you are wondering, okay, uh, I'm in the kingdom of God, but why am I not healed uh, right now? Why am I still suffering? Why am uh, I am still uh, struggling with my sickness? Well, let me tell you, congregation, Jesus says manifesting his power here, but that doesn't mean that this is the end for us. It means that there will come a day when the kingdom will come in fullness. Yes, the kingdom is here. But there will be a day in, in which the kingdom will come in fullness. And we will enjoy full blessedness with him. We will see him as he is. And we will enjoy him forever. So be patient if you are suffering right now. If you are sick. If you are going through different circumstances. But know for sure that the Lord has manifested his kingdom in you. We belong to him. And that's a great consolation for us. Now, this leads us to our second point, those who doubt Jesus. And look with me again at verses 18 and 22. Uh, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. <coughs> then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, look the contrast here, congregation, uh, between persons and people who came before Jesus in faith and were healed and were accepted and these other persons that Matthew is presenting to us uh, right now. Here comes a teacher of the law. Now, I'm sure you know a teacher of the law was a person who was very familiar with the Old Testament. They knew it all. They knew a lot. And they knew also that when Jesus was doing these signs, they knew this has to be someone special. This has to be the Messiah. So here it comes, a teacher of the law. Jesus, I will follow you. And this is a bold affirmation for him. I will follow. No matter, no matter what, I will, I will follow you. And Jesus says, is that so? I don't have any place to live in. Will you follow me? 
What is the answer? Let me ask you, can you spot his answer here in these verses? No. Silence. That's it. Now came another one, a disciple. Maybe he was following Jesus for a little bit of time, and he wants to follow Jesus as the first one. And Jesus says, you know, follow me. Follow me. The disciple says, Lord, uh, I will bury my, uh, my father first. And Jesus says, no, follow me and let the, the dead bury their own dead. Now, this uh, seems to be a little bit harsh for us, isn't it? But is Jesus saying here that you shall not have houses or that you shall have not properties or that you shall not bury your, your dear ones? Is that what Jesus is saying here? I don't think so, congregation. What Jesus is doing here is testing their loyalty. In other words, Jesus is saying, do you love me enough? Do you love me enough to follow me and to lose your house? Do you love me enough to leave any relationship that is interposing between you and Jesus? And again, the answer, silence. Nothing. But the real test comes to uh, Jesus' disciples. And this starts in verse uh, 23. Then they go with Jesus in the boat. And uh, Jesus is tired because he has been speaking to the people, healing people. And he falls asleep. And as they are going in the, in the, in the sea, something happens. Now... Just imagine with me the uh, image, congregation. Just let us put ourselves in the seashore with the others that stay uh, in, in land. Are they watching the boat? Are they perhaps uh, seeing how the clouds become, became dark and it begins to rain? And they're like, ooh, good to know. I mean, I'm glad that I stayed here. Is that their reaction? Maybe. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But it's a temptation that many face, right? Oof, I'm, I'm glad that I, I have not become a Christian. They suffer a lot. Now, look, look, look to the boat. What is happening with them? These are uh, ex expert sailors. They know what they are doing. But the storm is so strong, so fierce, that they are fearing for their lives. So they began to cry, Jesus, Lord, please help us. We are going to die. Don't you care? But notice that Matthew increases the tension of the moment, not saying to us, and Jesus stood up and, and, and um, talked to the waters and to the winds, and they stayed calm. No. He shows us first that Jesus stands up and says, what is going on with you, men of, of little faith? And this is for the reader. He's like, oh, man, please calm the storm. Calm the storm. I can bear this. They are in danger. And as a response, after he has rebuked the disciples, Jesus manifests God's kingdom in power again. What does he do? He simply speaks. Calm down. 
and that's it. The wind, the water, quiet, total silence. And a question lingers on the, the disciples' mouth. What kind, of, what kind of man is this? You see, they also are in doubt. They have seen uh, the miracles. They have been close to Jesus, but they, are, they still don't know what is going on here. So you see, congregation, there are degrees of doubt. There are those who doubt Jesus and decide to never follow him. They stay back. They stay back. But there are those who, in the midst of situations of difficulty, in the midst of sorrow and problems and distress, they cry to the Lord. So which one are you? Because when we cry to the Lord, we can find what they found, that we are safe in Jesus' hands, that he is protecting us, even in the midst of uh, the worst of uh, storms. And this shows also to us, congregation, that as Christians, we also face problems. We also face tribulations. We also face sickness, infirmity. But also, we are in God's hands. We are not uh, in our own. So when we uh, experience tribulations, we need to remember this. Jesus has our souls in his hands. No matter what happens, we are safe. You are safe in Jesus' hands. And Matthew, in fact, has shown us this in, in the previous different, different instances. He saves, he heals, he preserves. This is no other than a demonstration of Jesus' powers and manifestation of uh, the kingdom of God. If he can heal a leper, if he can heal at the distance, if he can touch a woman and heal her, and if he can just speak and calm the storm, how much more can he protect your life, your soul, your eternal uh, destiny? Now this leads us to our third point. Those who reject Jesus. So far we have seen two uh, answers to Jesus' manifestation of the kingdom of God. The first one, believe. The second one, doubt. Now, what is this third group about? Look with me, verses 28 to 34. When he arrived at the other, si at the other side of the region of the Gardarines, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Now, what are the characteristics of uh, these this persons? First, Matthew says, uh, they were violent. They live in tombs, according to Luke and Mark. And they were feared by the locals. These persons, in other words, were causing a lot of troubles in the area. Now, what is Jesus uh, thinking here? And where, what is he doing here? Does Jesus say, okay, these are gatherings. Uh, you know, they are not the people of God, so whatever. Let let's them perish. I don't care. Is that Jesus' answer? No, congregation. He's moved again to compassion. And he comes to them, he sees them, and he casts the demons out of them. Jesus commands them to go out. 
And, you know, maybe you are wondering, why is Jesus allowing the demons to go to the pigs, to the herd of pigs? I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And we can speculate and we can maybe offer some suggestions, but we don't know for sure. But the important thing here is that Jesus is manifesting his power again, the power of the kingdom in casting out these demons. So, no sickness can resist Jesus' powers. No uh, uh, force of nature can resist his power. And also, no spiritual being can resist his power. Matthew is telling us something here. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one who God promised will bring deliverance, freedom, and a better relationship, a best, or best relationship with God. Now, when he cast out demons, something happened. Is the people happy about it? No. They come, and instead of saying, yes, they are free now, I'm, we are so happy. Praise the Lord. Instead of saying that, they say, Jesus, please leave. We don't want you here. Leave. Can you imagine that? Leave. Leave me alone. We don't want you, Jesus. And you hear it right. These people are thinking uh, something different. For them, they are not happy about them being delivered. They are not happy about uh, them uh, being free again. They are not happy that they are safe. They are not happy that they can go back to their families. But they are concerned about money and 2,000 pigs. Oh, that's not good for business. How dare you, Jesus? We don't want you here. So the striking thing of this portion is they are worried about animals and money. Now, congregation, isn't this uh, crazy? They are driving out the Lord of the universe. And with him, eternal hope. Does this sound familiar to you uh, uh, today in our society that prefers animals to people? So if you kill a baby, that's fine. Oh, but if you dare to touch an animal, you go to jail. Wow. In other words, congregation, the gospel is not always convenient for other people. When they found out that it's not convenient, they reject Jesus. And this happens today too. When we bring the gospel to other people and they find out, oh, I'm going to lose my job. Oh, maybe uh, I cannot lie anymore. So that's not good for business. Then they, they reject the gospel. They, and they don't realize that with it, they are rejecting eternal life. Now, congregation, let's step back just for a little while and let's see the whole panorama of what Matthew is presenting here in his gospel about Christ. Matthew is telling to us that God is fulfilling his promises to Israel, that Jesus is the promised Messiah who will deliver his people from their sins. Remember chapter 1. He inaugurates the kingdom of God and proclaims the gospel, and he brings the good news of salvation. And until this chapter, he has been manifesting God's kingdom 
in power. Jesus has made clear, where is he coming from? He is coming from the Father, with power, with authority. Therefore, his words are God's words. And he, here, uh, he's showing us that he is God dwelling among us. God in the flesh, touching his creation. When, when we see his uh, healing and quieting the elements and casting out demons, we see God's power. We see God's kingdom being inaugurated. Therefore, we need to ask, what are the reactions of the people who are facing Jesus? Then we can say, well, there are those who believe, like uh, the centurion. They came, they believe. And once they have believed, they have no other option but to serve Jesus, to follow him, to love him. All of this. Another different reaction is doubt. And as we saw before, we also are not free of doubt. But let me ask you this, congregation. What kind of doubt is your doubt? Is your doubt the one that uh, shows that you have no hope at all? Or in the midst of your distress, is your doubt the doubt that even there, even in suffering, even in pain, you cry out to the Lord? Oh, Lord, I don't understand this. It hurts. It's difficult. I, I can bear it. But you know more. And you know better than me. Please help me. You see, the difference no, is not in doubting, but in the object in which we trust. If we trust Jesus, then we are safe. He will never fail us. On the other hand, if we trust in ourselves, then sooner or later, we will fall in desperation. Finally, the reaction to the gospel of Christ sometimes also causes a rejection. And we saw this in this last part of the chapter. They have already chosen what they think is better. They think a pig is better. They think money, profit is better. So they, they have put the blessings of God instead of God. The blessings instead of the one who blesses. And therefore they reject uh, Jesus. So here we see uh, this morning the manifestation of God's kingdom in power. That God fulfilled his promises to his people. He sent his son, the second person of the Trinity. He took flesh, became like us. I mean, I have been repeating this a lot this morning, but it's so a striking congregation. We don't understand how an infinite God, eternal God, can become uh, like us. And this is just a show, a display of his mercy and grace. That God came to us and dwell among us. And while he is dwelling, he is uh, cleansing people, he is fulfilling his promises, he is bringing the kingdom of God, he is defeating Satan. He is obeying the law for us. He is proclaiming the good news for those who believe, for those who uh, are his people. So, let me ask you this morning. If that is so, 
if Jesus' actions uh, claim for or demand for a reaction, what will be your reaction? What are you going to say to Jesus? Are you going to react in submission as the first group? Are you going to believe in him? And uh, it's not easy for us, um, congregation, especially when we um, have problems and when we have uh, tribulations. And perhaps because of that, you have been uh, wandering away of the Lord. Maybe you have, doubt, you have doubts in your life. Maybe you have faced problems. But congregation, cry out to the Lord. He is the only one who can help you. He is the only one with the power uh, to help us, to rescue us, even from, from ourselves. He has promised that he will never abandon us. He will never forsake us, even in the midst of the storm, the worst storm that you have seen. Or maybe you have rejected the gospel. And maybe you are uh, here coming from Sunday to Sunday, hearing, but knowing that the gospel maybe is not profitable for you. Then let me tell you, uh, brother, sister, God has promised us his richness, the kingdom richness, eternal life. What can be better? Therefore, uh, whatever is your stand, if you are suffering, if you are in, in need, if you are in distress like the disciples, or if you are just fine, this morning come to him again. We need to because we need him. The Christian life is not, uh, oh, I repented yesterday and that's it. No, the Christian life is a continuous repentance before the Lord, a continuous coming before the Lord, a continuous uh, recognizing I'm not enough. I need you. I need your healing over me. I need your power over me. I need your manifestation of your kingdom over me. Help me to be with you. Help me to follow you more. And he is faithful to do it. He has compassion on us. He has done it. He is doing it. He will do it, even today. Amen. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, this morning, come before you, recognizing that, yeah, sometimes... And many times we have uh, doubt about your power. Many times we have experienced sorrow and troubles and sufferings. Help us to remember that we are safe in your hands. That you are the one who uh, was promised and the one who has the power to deliver us from our problems, our struggles, from our sins. Uh, please, Lord, Help us also to, once that we have received your grace, also be witness of you outside of these walls. So we can share with others. So we can, uh, may bring others to you. 
We ask you, Lord, please help us to truly see you and help us to trust in you, to remember that you are for us. And also, uh, we ask you for those who maybe are uh, rejecting your gospel. Maybe uh, we have family and maybe we have friends who are rejecting your gospel. We pray for them, Father, so they can also come before you and, and see you as you are. We ask you this in, in your name. Amen.